Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Today we speak with Mark Jarvis, the CEO of Giga Metals. They're a nickel explorer in Canada. And we talk to him about their recovery rates and resource size, infrastructure costs and challenges of working in semi-remote districts, plus their investment red flags and fundraising issues. And we also get an update on timing around their PEA due ostensibly sometime in Q1 next year. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Matthew. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. Um, I think Nickel's very a very hot topic at the moment, so we're pleased to be speaking to uh, to you about it. So could you kick off and give us a one-minute summary on the business, and then we'll get stuck into some questions. Uh, at Giga Metals, we've got uh, the turning and deposit, which is among the largest undeveloped uh, sulfide nickel deposits in the world. Um, and a sulfide nickel is one of the two types of nickel that are amenable to being upgraded to class one nickel, which is useful for batteries, mm. for lithium ion batteries. Um, and in fact, a lot of people think that nickel is going to be the choke point in terms of material supplies for lithium ion batteries. It's very, very um, topical at the moment, the EV story. We're hearing a yeah. lot of companies trying to align themselves to the EV revolution. Uh, sure. and, and tell us that they're going to they're going to be a big part of that success. But um, I'd be interested to understand a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this project? Um, how did you discover it? And tell us a little bit about the team that you surrounded yourself with. I was introduced to this deposit. I was actually retired. Um, I, I, I had made an, made an excellent pass uh, in an oil company that I was involved with um, called Ultra Petroleum, which at the time went from 35 cents a share to $150 a share. It was a remarkable story. Wow. Um, and I spent a couple of years retired and I was uh, bullish on base metals in 2003, 2004. Mm. I was right. Base metals were doing very well. Um, and a broker showed me this company, which was being, the stock had been suspended. It was run by uh, pump and dump artists type of thing. But but it had an interesting and very large deposit. Hmm. It wasn't drilled out though. And so uh, I got involved, uh, replaced the management and uh, raised a bunch of money. We caught the, you know, the end of the last market cycle, raised a lot of money and drilled this deposit off. So uh, our deposit is now defined by uh, 200 and 40 drill holes, um, you know, and they're, they're probably averaging 350, 400 meters, you know, on average. So a lot of drilling to define a large deposit like this. Right. And when I say large, uh, in the measured plus indicated category, we've got now a 5.2 billion pounds of nickel, uh, and 313 million pounds of cobalt. And then in the inferred category, uh, you know, double that. Yeah. So, 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 so that's ex exciting times. But let's let's stick with the team first. So you know, you're an oil guy. You've come into base metals. Who have you surrounded right. yourself with to kind of give you the comfort of knowing what you're meant to be doing? Well, we've recently attracted some very interesting board members. Um, one is Martin Vidra, mm -hmm. uh, who spent his career at Sherrod, which is a Canadian uh, nickel and cobalt producer. Um, yep. You know they. People in the U.S. don't know much about them because their primary asset is in Cuba. 
And so the executives are not allowed to travel to the United States, but they're well known, you know, everywhere else. Um, and a guy named Robert Morris, Bob uh, was uh, the head uh, of international base metal sales for Bale, uh, which is the big Brazilian company. It's actually the largest nickel producer in the world now. Mm. Um, and so, so, so Bob also knows all of the end users um, and in fact spent time living in Tokyo uh, in this earlier incarnation. In this earlier incarnation, he was in charge of base metal sales to Asia for uh, Bali. Uh, they both joined our board and, and, and in their respective positions, they have looked at every large undeveloped nickel deposit in the world and they like our deposits. So I find that quite validating. Uh, these are high profile guys. Um, Martin Vidra, in turn, uh, brought me a gentleman named Lyle Tritton. Uh, Lyle spent 25 years at Sherritt. Uh, Martin described him as the most talented technical guy he's ever met, a chemical engineer by training. Uh, uh, Sherritt hired him right out of university. He spent 25 years at Sherritt and um, retired two or three months ago and came, came to work with us. So he is now at the center of our technical effort. All of the geologists, the metallurgists, and the mining engineers report to him, and he's coordinating all of that. Takes a tremendous load off me, um, which is fantastic because he's doing something that I'm frankly not uh, qualified to do. I'm, I'm, I'm not technical. Right. Um, but it's very comforting to me that Lyle is now in charge of that effort. So that's fantastic. So, so Lyle's the, the guy with boots on the ground, supported yes. ably by Martin and uh, at the end of a, uh, a phone call, I, I, I guess. Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. And so, so I was about to say this, 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 the, same, the same with um, Bob, Bob Morris. I mean, he's Valet, you right. know, <laughs> world's largest company, or, you know, well, sorry, sorry, one of the world's largest companies. Um, is he hands-on or is he, again, just advisory? Uh, well, 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 he's more advisory. Uh, however, you know, if you're trying to develop a mine, it starts with what can you produce? What is your product? And what is the appetite out there in the world for your product? And uh, the advice of both Martin and Bob has been invaluable as we focus our technical effort on what can we produce here? What can we make that they're going to want? And, um, you know, it's really crucial. So uh, one of the strengths of this project is that we can make a beautifully clean concentrate in the range of 20 to 25% nickel. Right. Um, and the nickel to cobalt ratio quite consistently in our concentrate is 18 to 1. So it's a nickel cobalt concentrate. Yeah with uh, deleterious elements uh, in many cases that are undetectable. It's remarkably clean. Right. And so this is a product that the traditional smelters uh, would compete over. Um, but there's also an emerging market that we're paying attention to. Uh, you can take our high grade clean sulfide concentrate, put it through a pressure oxidation circuit mm -hmm. and make sulfates which are the very high purity um, uh, precursors to cathode materials for batteries. What's done now uh, is, is, is you take concentrate uh, all the way to briquettes or metal, 
and then you grind them up, hit them with acid, and take them backwards to sulfate. So it's a very inefficient processing route, uh, but that's what's being done. And in fact, there's quite a shortage of briquettes right now. You'd rather do briquettes than metal. So, so again, just help me so I understand, because um, you're 19 million market cap. You know, you're, you're fairly early stage. You've got a, a you know, as, yeah. you, as you've already said, you measured and indicated is 5.2 billion pounds of nickel and 313 pounds of cobalt. It's it's, it's a big resource yes. for sure. Yes. And you're yeah. talking to me about the, you know, how clean the concentrate grading is. But you, have you got any sense yet of, because I think you're using a PEA from 2011. Has that been updated? Right. No, it hasn't been no, updated. We're working on, no, we're working on updating that. Okay. Have you got any sense of what the recovery rates are for the uh, project? Around 60%. 60%. Which, which... You know, if you're coming from the copper or the gold world, sounds abysmal. Mm. Uh, but when you're in the low-grade, open-pitable sulfide nickel world, that's yeah. actually excellent. Uh, that compares, you know, one of the comparables is the DeMont deposit of Royal Nickel. Yeah. Uh, their recoveries are 43%. Um, yeah, you're comparable in size to them, I think. And and and, and grade? What, what grade are you? Uh, they've, got, they've got more drilled off than we do. Right. Uh, so they're actually, you know, a larger deposit in terms of what's been drilled off. We've actually drilled off less than 25% of what's uh, prospective for similar right. types of reserves. I, I, We've I, got I, drill holes three kilometers away from the resource that are basically the same thing as what's in the resource. Right. I, 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 I feel a competition coming on. Um, yes. <laughs> you just can't, you know, you can't brag about it unless you've drilled it off. So. Well, <laughs> okay. So you you're looking at updating the PEA. Now the PEA is yeah. obviously a very it's a very loose document in the sense that it's plus or thirty percent accurate. Yeah. Um, what else are you doing in terms of understanding what you've got? In terms of are you going to move to a feasibility study at some point? Oh yes. So so right now we're at the trade-off study stage. Bear in mind. This deposit was put on mothballs uh, after 2011. Right. Why? You know, we had the, you know, you know, we had the, well, well, because the nickel price collapsed. Right. So in 2008, the nickel price collapsed, but then it bounced back. Okay. And in 2011, December of 2011, is when we came out with our PEA. Um, and we used the base case nickel price of $8.50 a pound. Nickel at the time was trading at over $11 a pound. So we thought we were being conservative. Uh, we, so we came up with our PEA and the, and the price of nickel proceeded to erode to $4 a pound, which was uneconomic for this deposit. So I faced a, a grim choice at the time. Do I continue to dilute and spend money on this project? Or do I put it on mothballs, spend as little as possible, and hang on for dear life through the bottom of the market cycle? And I chose to do the latter. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's yeah. very interesting when you speak to management teams about you know their ability to work through cycles because you know, cycles are inevitable. But obviously, that was in quick, yes. quick succession there, 2008 through 2011 for sure. Um, you know, in, clearly didn't have enough cash at the time, or didn't want to put cash no. into the company to. Keep that going. I don't know what the GNA or the, the burn rate was back then, but 
Oh, oh, back then it was very low. I mean, I right. stopped collecting a salary for several years. Yeah. Um, you know, we just cut down to a part-time CFO, a part-time corporate secretary, did no investor relations work. We, 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 we paired the spending to the bone and just hung on for dear life. Right. We made it through the downturn barely. And then nickel started to pick up again, driven by the EV revolution. Um, and we started being able to attract money again mm. um, and, you know, started doing work again. So, so we did uh, 36 infill holes, uh, not this last summer, but the summer before, mm -hmm. um, just to lift uh, uh, inferred resources in the areas that we're interested in mining to indicated and measured. Yeah. Um, which means that we've done the resource drilling in the areas that we're interested in mining um, that will support advancing the project to pre-feasibility and ultimately to feasibility. Right. Okay. And that's a, that's, a, that's a huge expense in a large deposit like this. So, so, so what's the problem here? Because, you know, the market cap's 19 million bucks, right? Right. You're telling me you've had it since the early 2000s, so and you've right. mothballed it once and got through a couple of cycles, probably well, three cycles, I guess you do, Aki. Um, you yep. know, of uh, tr you know trying trying to survive, but y you've you've got a large resource now, okay? Yes. You you think you can you can think you can see the end in sight. The the projections for the nickel market look good in terms of the nickel price. Yes. The EV revolution is you know changing things for everyone sure but there you go where are you now so how much cash do you have today our working capital today yeah is about 3.8 3.9 million canadian mm -hmm. okay um where does but, that take you, you to? asked a very interesting question earlier there yeah what's the problem like yeah. why are we only at a 19 million dollar market cap and you know i think the answer to that is that we are what I would describe as a monstrously large marginal resource. And why Meaning, do you say marginal? Because the incentive price that we need to get this built is somewhere in the nine to ten dollar a pound range. And today's price can't is be more, pardon me? And today's price uh, today's is? price uh, was seven dollars and eighty cents. Right. Pound. So you got a ways to go. And I'm sorry, I think in pounds for some reason <laughs> rather than metric tons. I don't know why, but I do. Right. Um, and, and, you know, this is the type of situation that I personally love because ultra petroleum was also huge and marginal and it exploded when gas prices took off, you see. Yeah. Um, and you see leverage in huge marginal deposits. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. So, you know, at today's nickel price, our project uh, would struggle to get built. And everybody knows that, it's, it's, it's no secret. So the question to me is if this electric vehicle revolution is real, where are you gonna get the class one nickel? Who's our competition? Where are the other large undeveloped nickel deposits in the world? I'm talking about large deposits. Um, and the answer is, most of them are limonite deposits. It's a phase of the laterite mm -hmm. deposits. There's a lot of laterite deposits in the world. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of limonite. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and limonite is processed with high pressure, high temperature acid leach. Complicated, you know, people, huge, huge capital expenditures, uh, prone to technical failure, et cetera. And Wood McKenzie reckons that the incentive price to build new HPEL projects is about $12 a pound nickel. Our deposit, the incentive price is nine or $10. And we'll get more clarity on that as we get further along with our engineering study. But it still leaves so, you in the same position, doesn't it though? You know, you're, you're, you're seven bucks, you're talking about IC leverage. Other people will say sure. IC liability. You know, there's that sure. disparate, that uh, beta between where you are and where you need to be. Um, you've got to have a view and you've got to persuade investors to have a view that the nickel market is heading the right, right. way. And I think, I think you've got a lot of macro data supporting you. Everyone's saying it's going to get there. The question is timing. And which case, yes. where does that leave you today? You've got 3.8 million bucks. How do you make it through to whatever that point is? Well, I mean, ultimately, the goal is to get to full feasibility with permits attached. So through an environmental assessment of full feasibility. And, you know, as, a, as an arm waving estimate today, mm. I would say that's $30 million. Okay. Um, and three or four years. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> you're making a good point. Yeah. Uh, you know, how do we get there? with you know 3.8 3.9 million in the treasury the answer is you know that if you are an electric vehicle manufacturer or a battery manufacturer mm. or a trading company that services those types of entities mm. you are very concerned about your supply chain and particularly nickel, because there has been underinvestment in this sector because the price of nickel has been low for so long. And so you don't want to be, if you're a manufacturer of batteries or electric vehicles, you don't want to be hostage to the nickel market, which is extremely volatile. I just remind you that, that in 2007, nickel hit $26 a pound mm. before collapsing to four, rallying to 13, collapsing to four. I mean, it's, it's, it's an extremely volatile yeah. uh, commodity. And it's because it's relatively a small market. It's roughly 2 million tons a year. Mm. And so that leads to a lot of volatility. So our thesis is this. With the product that we can make, this, this beautiful, high-grade, uh, clean concentrate, which is amenable to either smelting, but also very amenable to pressure oxidation to convert directly to sulfates. Mm. Uh, we've got a product that is extremely desirable. And our strategy is to move forward through different engineering steps. And we are talking to strategics. We're talking to electric vehicle manufacturers. We're talking to battery manufacturers um, about coming in at the project level to invest at the project level early to help us get to feasibility. But you're some ways away from production on you. You're six, seven years oh, away. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I would say we're six or seven years away from production. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's a few things that need to happen between now and then. I'm just got, trying to put my investor hat on and go, right, what, sure. what are the potential yeah. red flags here? So I'm thinking 
Right. So there's a lot of feasibility work to happen. Economic uh, studies, yes. basically, which say, can yep. we produce this economically? And if we can, what's the price point? I think you've indicated it needs to be circa nine, ten bucks. Um, yep. But you won't know that until you've done a bit more work. Okay. But what about yes. things like I noticed on the on your presentation, you're actually you're quite far north, right? So what's the yep. infrastructure? You know, how many months of the year can you work? What's the cost? Do you, do you have to do you have to build some of this infrastructure yourself, or can you just plumb into uh, existing setup? Well, okay. Um, for one thing, being that far north for an open pit mine is actually not not a bad thing at all. Okay. Um, uh, we're not in the mountains; we're in the rolling foothills uh, okay. in the rain shadow of the Coast Range Mountains. Uh, and the experience with other open pit operators up there is that it's actually more efficient to mine during the winter because you're not dealing with mud. The ground right. is firmer. Okay. Um, for exploration, it's much more expensive to do exploration in the winter and you just don't do it because you'd have to move a lot of snow around. You can't see the ground with the snow on it. So really the exploration window is about four to five months you know, around the summertime. Hmm. Um, but for mining, that's not an issue. Uh, the biggest infrastructure challenge that we face is, uh, is, is, is bringing in um, the BC Hydro line to get electricity uh, at the industrial rate, which is very low. And one of the trade-off studies that we're doing is the CapEx, you know, sort of it's a CapEx versus OpEx thing. Yeah. If you spend the money to bring in the hydro line, that's a big capex, but your uh, power costs are very low three, by three, world standard. Three, four cents. On the other hand, you could uh, build your own on-site uh, power generation with either diesel or natural gas, uh, and your capex is much lower, but your opex is higher. Yeah, that's one of the trade-off studies that we're doing. Um, in terms of uh, other things, we don't have a railhead right nearby, so the concentrate would be trucked to the port of Stewart. But you have to you know, appreciate that all of these factors are baked into the engineering that we've already done and will be baked into the engineering that we're doing. So instead of loading onto trains, we're filling up concentrate trucks. They're driving down to the port of Stewart, something on the order of 300 kilometers. Um, you know, and maybe bringing back supplies from Stewart so that they're not running empty. Um, that's, you know, another thing that the engineers are looking at. All the moving parts are are uh, structured into the financial model. Um, you know, wear and tear on the tires of the concentrate trucks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yes, it's what I would call semi-remote. It's not truly remote. I mean, um, we've got uh, 70 kilometers uh, of dirt road to the paved highway uh, that we would have to, you know, upgrade to something that could support, you know, concentrate trucks going back and forth. All right. Okay. So, you, so you're you're having to look at the infrastructure that you're going sure, to require. You'll bake them right. into the costs, and that'll give you your yes. right. your all-in cost or your ASIC or you know how are you going to how are you going to quantify this and you get a sense of what right. you need to be selling at to be able to be economic right. or what sort of margins you're prepared to. I noticed in there you're. Margins right. are very between like, well, the IRR 15 to 33% tight numbers sure. shown. So I, I appreciate that. What about, and just finishing off on just one, some of these red, potential red flags, what about the indigenous people, the, 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 the local community? How, how do they react to what you're doing? Is this a case of 
job creation well, or are you getting any resistance? Well, we're fortunate in that respect. Um, the, you know, the two main groups we deal with are the Taltan and the Cascadena. And uh, the Taltan control access to our property. The Cascadena are downstream and, and, and are legitimate players mm -hmm. uh, for that reason. Right. Uh, you, know, as, you, you know, as well as assertion of, you know, this is our traditional territory. Well, the two traditional territories overlap at our property. Hmm. So, um, but they're very uh, business friendly in general. I would say the tall tan uh, are more experienced than the Cascadena uh, and have a very well-developed uh, system of corporate governance. Right. So they've done lots of deals and they're business friendly. When I go and talk to the elders in the tall tan communities, you know, there's always two or three that are against all development as in any community. Um, but most of the elders encourage economic development in the territory uh, because these are good jobs. It keeps the young people in the communities rather than going to Vancouver or Winnipeg or Toronto. It keeps them in the communities making good money, taking vacations in Hawaii, that sort of thing. Um, and, and, and there is a history of the tall town doing deals. Uh, the Casca are catching up rapidly. They can see, you know, how well the Taltan are doing. The Taltan are doing extremely well financially. They really are. Um, and the Casca are going, hey, we want in. And so um, their corporate governance has improved markedly in the last 10 years. No imminent issues that you're aware of other than, you know, the, the process of just working through issues. It's putting out small well, you know, I think someone called it. You know, another strength in British Columbia is that the, the, the provincial government has, has, a, has a mineral tax on all mineral production in, in the province. And they have a policy of sharing that with the relevant First Nations. Mm -hmm. So they'll take, so the province takes half, I believe. I mean, there, you know, a lot of this is confidential. This mm -hmm. is, but, but, but roughly say the province takes half then the other half is divvied up amongst the relevant First Nations. And in our case, we're talking about a very large mine that would have a very large, uh, long mine life. It's really significant money. So you've got this, this carrot, if you, so that's in addition to jobs, contracts, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and in fact, uh, we're also helping to uh, promote um, the capacity of, of, of the local First Nations. We're, we're, um, we're doing sponsorships for any students uh, in the Taltan or the Cascadena that are studying anything related to environmental assessment, wildlife, um, you, know, you know, chemistry, um, uh, archeology, span et cetera. Okay. Um, so if, 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 if they're studying that, we will help contribute to the scholarships and we will also hire them as we go through the environmental assessment. I, you know, I think the old model of doing an environmental assessment and then, and then saying, here it is and yeah. showing it to the first nations. Yeah. Uh, that's not a strong, robust model. Uh, it's more, uh, you're more likely to succeed if the First Nations are involved with you at every step sure, of the way. For sure, you, you need that CSR program. I mean, okay, so again, coming back to a point I, I made 
earlier with regards to how long you've been on this project, you know, and it's right. had a couple of starts, as it were. Is yes. I mean, do you think people are just bored of this story? Why are you not getting the traction that you deserve? Well, God, that's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answer. Um, you know, sometimes I get bored with the story, <laughs> believe it or not. You can't <laughs> you say know? that. I mean, you can't say okay. that. <laughs> okay, well, but I've been working on this since 2004. That's, yeah. that's when I took over this company. Yeah. I, I, I came out of retirement to take over this company. And believe me, when nickel was sitting at $4 a pound for several years, I got a little bored. Yeah. But I always knew that we have a real asset that at some nickel price becomes economic. And again, I get back to this thesis. If you want fresh nickel supply, uh, particularly that's, that's capable of producing class one nickel, who's our competition? What what price do they need? And yes. hmm. and another another element of this is is when you compare us to uh, HPL projects. Think about the environmental impact. I think ethical sourcing is going to become increasingly important here. And uh, HPL projects have acidic, highly acidic tailing streams. Some of them, some of the projects simply dump them into the ocean. No, I agree. I think that I think the the ethical sourcing will have a a window until people start running out of stuff, and then the ethics get moved along, right? So, no, I I, I agree with you on that one. I guess it, for me, what I'm hearing is it's a question of it's not a question of have we got nickel? We you got nickel. It's uh, and you're telling me the recovery rates are good. Um, you're going to be able to feed into the battery market. There's a timeline here, and it's a question of financing that timeline. You've given me a number of circa 30 million bucks, right, to take you to the next, to the to the end point where you can start having conversations about getting debt and getting into uh, financing for production, right? So that's the bit that interests me. So to answer the question of, you know, why, answer the question, why should investors be thinking about giga uh, metals now. You know, what's the opportunity? I'm, I'm looking at the market cap and going, that's a low market cap for a resource of that size. That says to me the market is not sure if you can get into production. So, can you? Oh, oh, yes, I believe so. Right. And uh, there's always that 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 wall of doubt that you face. Um, so, you know, as an investor, why should I buy this stock today? The answer to that is because you can very cheaply. And if your timeline is two or three or four years, you just look at our tiny market cap relative to the size of the deposit and think about the leverage that happens uh, if nickel does go to $12, as Wood McKenzie says it has to, to bring you know, significant new supplies online. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at our financial model and you plug in $12 a pound, now, again, our financial model is out of date. It's not current. It's valid. It was very good work, but we haven't you know, factored in inflation, cost inflation, and all that sort of thing. Um, but still, it's the only model we've got. And so you, so you do the financial model and you take it with a grain of salt, okay? Um, but at $12 uh, a pound, I think our after-tax... Uh, IRR is something like 29%. Mm. And, and our after tax uh, depreciated net present value uh, at a discount rate of 8% is something on the order of 
2.7 billion, 2.7 billion. Yeah. US. Okay, so, so that's a great number. So, 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 so you talk you know, basically as an investor, I would think about it as a long-term call on the price of nickel. It's got that kind of leverage. Yeah, but but here's the thing, okay. and this is what I'd love your help with, because I, I, you know, I like yeah. nickel. I like the nickel story. Sure. Um, is we're thirty, let's say thirty-five cents today, right? Is that about yes. right? We're about that, right? Yeah. Fifty-four yeah. million yeah, we shares were. out. Right. You're going to need 30 million bucks to kind of get you to that DFS type right. stage. You're going to need to raise money. You're going right. to dilute, right? So someone coming we're in 35 cents today. We're, we're either going to dilute our capital yeah. or our project. Right. Okay. There's the okay. key. Okay. There's the key. So, so what we're looking for, and I don't expect this to happen tomorrow. What we're looking for is a strategic to come in and, 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 and buy into say 20% ownership of the property with an option to increase, okay. you know, later as you get the feasibility. And, and uh, you know, we're in the same boat as a lot of small companies. As you know, the resource space has, yeah. been, has been a horrible place to be for the last, what, six years, yeah. particularly base metals of all kinds. Yeah. And um, so a lot of people are in the same situation as we are. Uh, where our market cap is small, we've got a big project, a lot of money to spend. And believe me, the, the size of the project, you know, you look at drilling 36 holes, we spent over $4 million just doing infill drilling. Yeah, it's 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 expensive. So uh, big project. Quick segue. How, so how much money have you spent to date on this project? So I didn't ask you that. Earlier. Oh, it's somewhere north of thirty million dollars. It's more than our market cap. Wowzers. Okay, so that's happened. Yeah. Um, yes. So so. Okay, that's interesting. So you spent today, and that's mostly well. It doesn't matter how it's spent. You spent thirty million today. Drilling, um, metallurgy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So again, if with my investor hat on, the, the the way that I measure this is share price appreciation. That's how I make money. Sure. Investing in shares. Yeah. I, the shares have got to go right. up. And then I can I make some money when I when I trade them in. So so that's what I'm thinking yeah. about. I'm not necessarily thinking about IRR and PV. So the thing that you just said that interests me is if you're going to bring a strategic in. You said 20% is a number that you'd look to maybe give away at a project right. level and yes. maybe more as the project develops as more money is spent on it. Because if I look at a reference you made earlier, Dumont, they've, mm -hmm. they're sitting with only 28% of the business today. They've given away the right. rest. They've had to, to fund the thing, to get yes. somewhere. So I guess your right. choice is go bust because you can't right. afford to do it yourself or bring a partner in, but they're going to take their pound of flesh. Is that your strategy? Okay, well, yeah. So it's, you know, it's interesting. So in 2012, I took one route and they took a, they took a different route. Yeah. I said, this project's way out of the money. Uh, I could see why nickel was so cheap because the nickel pig iron, you know, situation was happening. I could see that it was going to continue to happen. And I thought we were, I thought nickel was down for, for several years. So I decided not to spend money on the project. They forged ahead. So at the end of the day, which one was the right choice? I'm not going to criticize anyone. It's a tough yeah. choice. Yeah. But, but, but that's the choice I made is I kept 100% of the project intact 
and waited for an upswing in commodity prices. Right. So do you, you think you're going to be the beneficiary of that decision back in 2012? You're not going to have to give away as much of your business as exactly. Dumont did and therefore exactly. dilute existing shareholders. Exactly. I right. think I can get, I, I think slash hope that I can get the money I need to get it all the way to bankable feasibility, which means you've got permits attached, building permits attached hmm. for $30 million or so. And, uh, and my goal is to, is to raise that at the project level rather than at the equity level. Okay, so th th this is a very good example. We do these videos for the benefit of retail investors, high net worths and family offices to help them sure. understand that the decision making by management will make or break a company as much mm -hmm. as the commodity price itself. So you know that's a really nice example there of a decision right. you made. Whatever that, what is that? Seven years ago. Oh my goodness, seven years ago. 2012. Yeah, time flies. Right, it does. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so no, I really, really appreciate that. And if I can, I just again, you just mentioned something there which I haven't yet asked you, which is around permitting and licenses. So where are you now? What you know, what permits and licenses do you have now? And what's that? What's that roadway look like going forward? What else do you need to be uh, getting hold of? Okay, well, those are very good questions. Um, uh, permitting, we've got an exploration permit. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't formally entered into the EA process yet mm -hmm. um, because we, as I said, we're, we're, we're right now doing trade-off studies. Um, and so we don't yet know what our project description is, which we will then submit. You submit a project description and then you start doing an environmental assessment around that project description. Mm -hmm. So we haven't launched that yet. Um, you know, the road itself, you have to have a road and uh, there's other users. Uh, there's a company uh, with a deposit called Cucho Creek. I think it's mm -hmm. called Cucho Copper is the current owner of that. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just entering into an environmental assessment. Um, they need the same road that we need. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, uh, I, I, I don't see that as a major obstacle, the road itself. Um, in, in terms of environmental, um, this is an ultra mafic deposit, meaning yeah. that it's basic. Okay, uh, so you're not going to get acid acid rock drainage from this deposit. It's extremely unlikely. Let me, let me, you know, the engineers will scream at me for saying that. It's extremely unlikely that you'll get acid rock drainage, uh, which is one of the big environmental issues that you can have. <clears throat> but the other thing is, it's politics. This is Canada, okay, and that's a double-edged sword. It's it's in anywhere in Canada, you've got a lot of big hoops to jump through with a major project to get an environmental assessment done. Um, however, if you're successful, you've got ethically sourced material. Nobody's going to question that in a jurisdiction with rule of law. So nobody's you know tin, no tin pot dictator is going to come and say, well that's mine now. Thank you very much. Um, and at the end of the day, permitting to me is politics. So we have a deposit that will not produce acid rock drainage, mm -hmm. that is producing nickel and cobalt materials necessary for the green revolution. And we're also funding research at the University of British Columbia into the CO2 sequestration properties of silicate tailings. 
this is some very interesting research because you know CO2 sequestration happens constantly in nature. If you take a silicate rock, you expose it to the atmosphere, it's absorbing CO2 and converting to carbonate. It happens very slowly. Now you grind the rock up to 80 microns and, and spread it out and expose it to the atmosphere. It happens very quickly. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a, a professor at UBC that's been studying this for 14 or 15 years, a guy named Greg Dippel. Um, he's, he's been studying it all over the world with uh, nickel deposits, but also with diamond deposits up mm -hmm. in the Northwest Territories, also silica tailings. And he's developed a methodology to measure how quickly the CO2 is being uptaken and, 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 and converted to CO2. And we're trying to, in, in fact, we're working with the Climate Secretariat of British Columbia, there is such a thing, to uh, certify his methodology so that you could then apply for carbon credits by measuring. So, you know, from a political perspective, we're, we're producing battery metals for the green revolution and we're supporting research. And we already know that we're going to be sequestering CO2 and it's not capture and store. This is, this is actually, it changes the mineral hmm. to a carbonate, which is a very benign uh, type of mineral, hmm. uh, you know, environmentally. And the CO2 is locked away for hundreds of millions of years. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yes. So, so I just think that we've got a project that it will be easy for the politicians to get behind. Well, okay. well, yeah. But you got to take you got to take care of these things, and you you got to understand um, how to gain advantage. You know, play yeah. the game, as it were. You got to play the game. Well, um, look, Mark, um, that's been fantastic. I really appreciated that introduction to our subscribers mm -hmm. to your story. Sure. I know you've been doing it a while, but it's new to us. Um, sure. I think the nickel space is very, very exciting. Um, I'd love to stay in touch and understand how you. I know you've, you've got a bit of money now, but you know right. how you drive that strategic partner onboarding if if you can or when when you when you do, oh. and at okay. what point you start moving through the feasibility pr process going forward. Well, let me give you a bit of a timeline then. What we're Beautiful. doing right now is metallurgy. Yeah. So we're doing a very robust um, variability study. Yeah. Where we're you know, doing our metallurgical processes on different different physical parts of the ore mm -hmm. body and different grades, different sulfur grades, and so yeah. forth. Um, we'll then move into optimization. Do you want to put some timelines on this? This is what you're doing. Do you want to put yes, some timing yes, on this? Yes, we're doing this right now. I think we'll be done our metallurgy by uh, January. February, okay. say Q1, okay. uh, but will be done, but will be done enough of the variability studies. That's the important part for the next hmm. PEA. We're going to have a PEA out in, in the first quarter of next year. And, and we're striving to get it out in the early part of the quarter. Okay. Well, let's say Q1, Q120. Got it. Yep. Yep. And, uh, um, and that will contain, um, you know, the variability studies that we're doing right now for right. the metallurgy. So that's what's new. But, okay. Yes. Uh, now, it, 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 it probably won't have all of the optimization that we're doing. Okay. Um, and, but, but, but the other result of the optimization studies is we're going to produce quite a bit of concentrate, something on the order of five kilograms. So 
in in our talks with the strategics, one of our pitches to them is, okay, you want to build a gigafactory. Mm. You don't want to import sulfate because sulfate is actually dangerous cargo. It's very volatile. You've got to have insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, a sulfide concentrate is routine cargo. You know, why not look at this as a two-part project where we produce our sulfide concentrate to these specifications, transport it to your gigafactory where you've got a pressure oxidation circuit, you make sulfates, you've got quality control right there, and uh, you know, you've got your nickel supply uh, tied up at the cost of producing the nickel. Um, so fine, I mean, this, this does work, but all of them want to take our concentrate and try it themselves. You know, put it through their own, you know, labs, do the pressure oxidation work, see how it does. Yeah. So we'll be able to have 500 gram samples to ship to, you know, up to 10 different strategics for them to do test work on. So we'll have that by, say, February. We'll have, you know, we'll have a new engineering study and we'll be proceeding towards pre-feasibility and then feasibility. Wow. We're just basically doing the trade-off studies so that we can go, what is our model now? What 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 works best today? So so when when are you aiming for a PFS buy? Uh, that would be a year following the PEA. Okay, got it. Okay, just trying to get some sort of sense when the economics start flowing right. in right. a bit more in a robust manner. Um, yeah. Okay, beautiful. Thank you very much, Mark. Matthew, it's a pleasure. No, and yeah, you that's, have some that's very good questions. <laughs> And they're questions that I would ask as an investor as well. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.